If I told you about a story needing to be heard, would you tell it? Better yet, if you knew your story could help someone else, would you share it? Today, my guest is Debbie, and Debbie talks about her son's journey of addiction, and that addiction is something that we can all relate to or we've heard about, and that is heroin. Hi, I'm Christine Hotchkiss, and I believe everyone has a story that is unique, just like our fingerprint, that puts us on the path of our journey. Some call it purpose. Each story can help heal, educate, inspire, and of course, my one word, give hope. Welcome, Debbie. Hi, thank you. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you for reaching out to want to share a very tough topic in Andrew's journey, but we're going to give him his full name because as you know, I lost my daughter and the name is very important to share. And so we are going to say Andrew Joseph Gilbert. It's a great name. It is. It is. Um, And so his addiction was heroin. Yes. That. Can I ask how old um, Andrew was when he uh, passed? He was twenty-five. Okay, so I have a son who's twenty-five currently, and you know whether it's a child, adult, it it's still a. It's a horrible drug. For some reason, it seems to grab a hold of people, and and when they try to get, and only from what I've seen the outside, from that drug grabs them, and they try to get off it, but it just keeps them there. Um, you gave me a date of his passing, which was in 2006. Is that right? 2016. December 13th, 2016. Oh, December 13th. Okay. I'm missing that. Tell us a little bit about Andrew. Well, you know, Andrew was just, you know, a really, really super kid. And um, from the word go, you know, he was very adventurous. He was soupy. He just had a great personality, very funny, um, very, very handsome. Just, um, you know, he was the type of kid in school that was in all of the gifted programs um, he played sports, he raced motorcycles, he was, you know, we used to say that, you know, he was just, a, I had a firecracker. <laughs> he was just going all the time. And um, and he was just, he was sweet, he was kind, he was compassionate. You know, as a, as a young man, he was the kid that would pull over and pick up the dog on the side of the road and then bring it home and say, Mom, we need to find out where he belongs. Aww. Just a very, very kind young man, um, and it was just uh, just obvious in how he lived his life that he was very kind. Without doubt, I'm certain he was. Um, I don't really know, and I don't know if you haven't answered this question, how he got involved in, in this drug. Well, Andrew, the, the, uh, the first time he did an opiate was when he had... Um, uh, ACL surgery as a teenager. Okay. And then, you know, and at that time, it just wasn't, um, you know, we just didn't know what we know now. Right. Just didn't. I mean, that was probably in 2006. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I want to say that that was the, 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 what did it, but Andrew was a, you know, uh, he came from a family that had addiction in it. His biological father was an addict. My father was an addict. Um, so 
so that was his first time with opiates. But as you know, he was a pot smoker as a teenager, um, and uh, I, I, it just you know I don't want to say that pot is a, just a it's a gateway drug because I don't think right. it is. I think an addict, if you're not an addict, right? Um, some people can, you know, uh, take an opiate pill and, 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 and be fine, and some people cannot. Right. So, you know, it's definitely a disease. It's brain structure. And, um, and from that point forward, you know, the town that I live in, in in Arizona, it really, really just became the thing to do heroin. Hmm. I had, when I was a, uh, as a mom, you know, I was always having conversations about meth and marijuana and all different types of drugs. That never even was on my plate as a conversation that I needed to have. I didn't even know it was out there. Oh, wow. At the time. When you were saying you would talk about it, so it was a conversation that would just come up that he was aware of that being something that was out there or no? That he was aware of heroin being out there? Right, or any other drug, I mean, as moms. No, on the, you know, as a mom, you know, I was, uh, I have a long time, uh, I was in Alatine as a kid because my dad was an alcoholic, my mom was in Al-Anon. I was very aware of addiction in the sense that I didn't, I knew I didn't want it to happen. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of conversations about addiction. Um, I, I just never knew that I had to say, don't do heroin because I never knew that heroin was even back. You know, to me, heroin was something from the seventies. I mean, it wasn't even something I thought people were doing. Right. You know, those, I don't, it's been several years since, um, my son was in school. I remember when my daughter was in school. Somewhere along the way, there was a program called DARE. And I don't know. Yes, I remember DARE. Yeah, I don't even know if it's still an active program in our schools. I sure hope so with all that I'm hearing about these different substances that are being exposed to our kids at all ages. It's not just the young teens. It's the small children, too. It's terrible. It, it is, and it's... And, well, you know, a lot of these drugs are in your parents' medicine cabinet, so that makes it even scarier. Well, and I'm going to be ignorant right now when you say it's their medicine cabinets. I'm not quite sure what the makeup, chemical makeup is to heroin, let alone any other things besides pot, which that's not well, something that's well, taken someone's well, life. Heroin, heroin's an opiate, and... Oxycontin is an opiate. Painkillers. Um, oxy, oxycodone is an opiate. Morphine is an opiate. Um, fentanyl is a um, an opiate that's uh, a man-made opiate, but that's one of them that's on the street right now that's, I mean, is killing kids all over the place. It's so horrible. So this is stuff that they can actually make out of stuff that's in our cabinets or just take because there was a surgery or someone right. had it. Right, yeah, so they got their wisdom teeth pulled or whatever it might be. We're seeing a lot of changes in the medical field, though, where they're limiting how many pills that they give to people and that kind of thing so they can prevent that from happening. It's interesting because now when you say that, I was thinking, you know what, I haven't had that, but I, I guess I did. Um, I, shortly after my daughter had passed away, um, I was with my family at the time where we were um, doing an, uh, an activity where we were riding quads around the Lake Pleasant, and I got into an accident, and I almost lost my arm. So my arm actually has plates and screws holding my, my shoulder as well as my wrist together, and I 
didn't realize this, but they had given me oxycodone. And because I had to have a couple of different surgeries that were very extensive, of course, they're going to keep me on that so that I'm not going to be in that horrific pain that I was feeling. But the one thing that I felt that was really hard was, and this might be something I can relate to someone who's actually getting off of a drug or trying to detox from one, is they didn't lower the dosage that they had been giving me that had been on for quite some time, but they just cut me cold turkey. And that is where I had such a withdrawal. I didn't even know what to do. It was horrible. And some people don't even know what it is when they're feeling it. You know, the... um, uh, that's where some people will go to the street and buy something on the street that's, you know, that could kill them because they don't even know what it is. But that's, we've seen that in the medical uh, field too, is instead of trying to wean them off or trying to get somebody help for addiction, we just cut them off. Well, if you cut somebody off who's been taking the same pill for 10 years, Mm -hmm. whether they identify as an addict in the sense of Andrew um, or other addicts that I know, mm-hmm. they are ad- addicted, and, and 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 they can't just sh- shut that off. You just can't shut that off. Right, right. No, like I said, I just I didn't realize that when I was on that, and and it wasn't about them understanding when I told them what I was going through physically. It didn't seem to matter. So it was more to uh, go to a higher t- dosage of Tylenol, I think. Right. Um, so lucky for me, I, I guess I didn't. I mean. It, it was a horrible feeling. Um, to lose a loved one, as you know, is not, it's a horrible feeling as well. And what takes their life, whatever it may be, is, is very difficult for those of us who are, are still here. Um, when you said he had had surgery, it sounds like he was um, athletic in, in yeah. school. Okay. What? Very. He, he, he tore his ACL riding motorcycles. Um, but he, you know, he had done, he had a a broken arm from hockey, a broken leg from motorcycles, a torn ACL from motorcycles, used to dislocate his shoulder. Yeah, he was, um, you know, in a lot of addiction sites, they'll say, you know, they're thrill seekers. Well, Andrew was a thrill seeker. (laughs) You know, we we couldn't play baseball. We had to play hockey. We couldn't just do something normal. We had to race (laughs) motorcycles. So... He was, um, he really just enjoyed, um, he enjoyed being active. We were a very active family. We were doing something all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We were as well. I guess it's a matter of what the level of uh, being active is, because when you say active, our family was very active too. But um, being, like you said, he couldn't do something simple. It was something that was um, hardcore, and then there was a consequence afterwards when something got broken or torn, as right. you mentioned. Um, are you involved currently with any um, organizations or parental groups that help with um, this addiction? I am. I do. Um, I do a lot um, with uh, HAnon, which is the Family Group for Heroines Anonymous. Okay. And um, and that's something that was I started after um, Andrew died in December, and, I, and we started the group in uh, February of 2017. So I do work with that, and then I do, um, uh, and I and I'm in a couple of groups. One of them is called the Addicts Mom that I work with, and then I also am in a few groups of um, of moms that have lost their children. 
So when you say you're involved in all these different um, groups, I'm certain, as I'm about to say this, this helps you as well through the process of his passing or the loss of his, or the not the process, the healing. I You know, it's really hard when you say healing because I also lost Nicole. Ours wasn't an addiction. Mine was an, an auto accident that she was ejected from the vehicle that we were in. But it's still the same pain. And so we get ourselves involved in things to keep ourselves busy, but then we also find something that helps other people too. And you've given the time frame of t- uh, 2016, and we're now into 2020. And when you said this happened December of 2016 and then two months into 2017, you got yourself involved one, I think that's a great thing to do. Um, what exactly are you doing? I guess because I'm not a part of those groups, so I'm not sure what they do to help other parents. Well, you know, I think the biggest thing that they do for other parents is they let them know that they're not alone. Perfect. You know, when my husband and I were going through this with Andrew, we were pretty sure that we were crazy. <laughs> Um, and that, and that this wasn't anybody else's life. I mean, we were, we were barely holding on by a thread. Right. And I think that, um, when other moms or other parents call me and they tell me a story, the fact that I just go, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That makes it easier. There's no, I'm not judging anybody. And it's even in the same sense of, you know, some parents will say to me, well, you know, I can't do that. I just need to, you know, sit here and rock and cry. And I say, okay, I mean, I'm not going to judge that either. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel that um, Andrew was very involved in Heroin Anonymous, HA, um, here in Phoenix, which is, they've got a a large fellowship. Mm -hmm. And I love these kids, and I love their parents. So I think that the um, helping these other parents feel that they're not less than made me feel that. Oh, I love that. You just gave me chills. I love that because it goes back on the, the comment you said about being crazy. I'm like, I totally understand that. And I had, when Nicole passed away, I had never known anyone who lost a child. And I felt, and I'm about to cry now, I felt so alone because I had never experienced that. I've lost dogs and grandparents, but never did I come across someone losing a child to understand what the heck just happened for one, and where do I go after that? So, Well, I, and even the parents who have, whose children haven't been lost yet, but who worry about it every minute of every day. Yeah. Um, you know, I know what that worry feels like. I know what it feels like to, you know, to worry where they are and if they're alive and are they eating and they're on the street. And I mean, opiate addiction is, is, is a horrible, horrible addiction. And it just, it's not just the addict that's suffering. It's the whole family. Of course. And I think that that's the part that, um, that when I can talk to these moms, you know, who also are in that, you know, what did I do right. when you didn't do anything? Because you can't, you, you, you don't, you can't cure it. You didn't cause it. You can't control it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, and that's the worst part for a parent. If you tell somebody that there's nothing they can do about it, I mean, I don't know. That made me fight harder. And I was fighting against something that, you know, I needed to put my energy somewhere else. 
Right. And I think that's what I try to have parents do is put your energy where it's going to make a difference. So you're not just spinning your wheels because I, for, for years I was spinning my wheels. Um, I think the biggest thing too is that I can tell them where to go for help and I can tell them things that worked and things that didn't work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's huge. You know, when somebody's trying to, you know, work the system, whether it's medically or mental health or whatever's going on, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really hard to find help for for your children, for addicts, for any type of mental health. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's another way that, I mean, I have lists that I can just send to people. If somebody calls and says, my, I have this insurance and we're here, what, what, what can I do? And I can respond to that. That is wonderful to know. Yeah, because I've already done it. Well, um, and in this too, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, absolutely do so, is because there's such a stigma on so many different things, and especially when it comes to addiction, which I want to break the stigmas um, by educating individuals and groups and people, is your you one, you don't want to feel like you failed your child, or right. That's the hardest part. Um, but you're giving hope on there are the resources, there are other individuals out there that's saying, you know what, me too. Okay, so we're in the me too club. How do we how do we get through this together? Because as you and I have already learned, that it is a strain on everyone that's involved. Um, and so. I think it's a great thing that you're doing, and, and it's a, a very serving service of, of uh, just being a human being. Um, I guess I want to ask this question because, again, I'm not familiar with addiction such as this. Are there signs that are able to be seen in case one of our listeners thinks that they know that there's an addiction or they want to... I don't want to say nip it in the butt, but bring bring hope that it would not turn into something tragic. Well, I think there's there's always signs in, a, in, in any type of addiction because I you know as soon as your child's behavior starts to change, then you know that there's a change. You know, there's something going on. Mm-hmm. I guess it just depends on what. Um, you know, um, when Andrew was in active addiction, our house was like chaos. Mm. You know, he was stealing, he was, you know, he was high all the time. It was, it was horrible. So, um, you know, I think when you're in it, um, especially if it's an opiate addiction, I think you know that you're in it because it's, it's terrible. Um, you know, I think that the, the, you know, the, the stigma and everything that goes with addiction, Andrew was sober about 10 months before he passed away and, my husband and I were at a at a Memorial Day party at one of the sober living houses, and and there were hundreds of kids there. Mm-hmm. I mean, hundreds. And my um, my husband was you know looking around, and my husband were literally have we we divorced and remarried. Oh, uh, for you. I mean, it was and it was very very. This was very hard in our family, along with a lot of other things, but this was very hard. Um, but he looked around when we were at that barbecue, and he said, all of these kids are addicts? And I said, yeah. He said, all of them. And I'm like, yes. Wow. And he's like, well, then it has to be a disease, Debbie, because not all these kids would pick this. Oh, wow. And I said, and you are correct. 
because I think that Scott, what Andrew always thought, you know, if I, you know, just get your head out of your ass, you know, what the hell are you doing? I mean, you know, um, like it, when I said Andrew was smart, I mean, he was off the chart smart. He had full ride scholarships. Um, you know, he got into great schools when he graduated high school and it just went sideways when he, um, did that when he got addicted to heroin. So it's just really hard. So when you said he was sober for 10 months, I'm going to assume that he knew that he had this problem. So that's where the sobriety came into play for 10 months. Yes. And did he come to you or did you say to him, hey, like you just said, you know, get your head out of your butt. We've got, you know, you've got other things. to Well, we went, the first time that Andrew went to rehab was in 2013. Okay. I picked him up at a, I went, I met him at a friend's house because he had locked his keys in the car. And, um, and then when we got in the car, he said, I don't have any gas, any money for gas. And I said, you just got paid yesterday. Hmm. And then that was the first time, I mean, I still remember this. He looked at me across the across his truck and he said, Mom, I'm doing opiates. Oh. And I didn't know what it was. Okay. And um, so he was in and out of rehabs and, and, and uh, sober and back and forth. Um, I'm sorry, not 2013, um, 2014, May of 2014. So we had sober moments. We didn't have the sober that we had for those 10 months before he passed away was the best sober time he ever had. Wow. As a family, as a family, we did a lot of healing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, um, it was like having your kid back. And if you talk to parents who have addicted children, it's it feels like your children have been hijacked from you. And then when they do get sober, it feels like you get them back. So, ten months sober, the wonderful reuniting of who Andrew was as far as a a part of the family and him as an individual what happened at the end of the 10 months I don't know I mean relapse is a part of addiction okay so um, I don't know what led him to that decision I I, I mean I don't know I don't know um, like I said relapse is a part of addiction it happens Um, we can pray that if and when it happens that it doesn't lead to to death, but um, overdose is very common in heroin users. It's mm-hmm. so very sad. It is, and I am sorry um, that you had to go through that journey um, because we do have, as um, a bereaved mom, that is a void that will never ever be able to be filled. Um, but knowing that you're doing like I am, helping other people so that they at least have those resources. And it seems as the more there's an awareness to all these different things that people go through, I'm hoping that it's actually making a difference, like you had said a little while ago, where someone's not going to feel alone and actually will save a life, if not more, by having these these organizations and people such as yourself. I think that the, one of the big things that... Um, I promote and that a lot of people who are in recovery promote because your family is in recovery too. If you seek help um, and, and you can become, you can get into recovery also, mm-hmm. um, that parents have to realize that the better shape that you're in, the better you can help your kids. Of course. You know, and if you are a mental health train wreck, 
then you can't do anything for your children. And being in denial is not something that is acceptable when you're having to go through this all together. No, it's not. And the things that, um, that you know, all of the stories have some common themes to them. Uh, I tell moms all the time, it's, you know, it's the same story, just change the name. Right. You know, your addicted child is, you know, there's a lot of addicted children. Um, you have to do what you can do to help yourself so that you can better help your child when your child's ready. You can't make them get sober, right. but you can certainly perpetuate them staying in the active addiction if you keep on, um, uh, you know, just being involved. Them, in- yeah, enabling them to continue doing it. Right. You know, um, I talked to a mom one time. She called me on the phone and she said, you know, well, we have the door to his bedroom closed and then we nailed it shut. So he can only get in um, through the patio door, hmm. so that he can't, so he can't steal all of our stuff. Oh wow! And I said to her, I go say that again, say that out loud again, and you and tell me what part of you having to nail shut a door in your home mm-hmm. is okay. I was thinking that exact same thing. Well, sometimes they don't even realize it. Like, they're just in survival mode. Mm -hmm. They just, I mean, they love this, you know, I mean, we love our children with every part of our being. There's nothing we wouldn't do for them. Right. And sometimes we think that just loving them enough is going to make them stop doing it. But sometimes we're loving uh, in a way that's enabling them to continue to do it. Absolutely agree with you. Absolutely agree with you. And it's, you, we hear all these different cliches, and one of them is the whole tough love thing. But you've got to know the boundaries that are healthy boundaries of what the tough love really is going to do for all involved. And I don't even know. I don't like tough love as a just as a word. Okay. Words. I like, um, you know, when Andrew before he had his ten months of uh, sobriety, he would call me with some sort of story of why I needed to come right away and bring money and whatever I needed to do. And I would say, um, Andrew, would you like me to take you to the emergency room um, or to detox? And he would say, no, 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 I need you to do what I just told you to do. And I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. I'm going to take you to the emergency room or detox. If that's not where you want to go, I love you, and I'll talk to you later. Yeah. So when you're doing tough love, they still have to know that you love them. Absolutely. I mean, you, you're not stopping loving them. You're love. I love you so much that I'm going to take care of myself, and that I, when you're ready, I'm going to be here. I mean, I got all these phone numbers. I'm ready to go. I know what our insurance is. I know where you can go. I just need to because your mental health. If you're mentally shot, you're not going to be able to do anything. No. And being on their roller coaster with them, you can't get on. The, you can't ride the ride with them. You can't because right. you won't be able to help them. Debbie, I ask um, real quickly um, if anyone should want to uh, ask you questions or need help or maybe get some of those resources. Would you be available? Oh sure. Where yeah. can you, where can you be reached? Um, I can be reached. I'm on Facebook under uh, Deborah Roy, R-O-Y. So it's D-E-B-O-R-A-H. Last name is Roy. Um, and you can reach me there. Uh, or even my email address uh, is D-E-B-I underscore Roy at live.com. And I get, I get phone calls from all over the country. It's very... Uh, 
Um, it's amazing how you can, um, how the network works and that people can get, if people reach out, they can find somebody to talk to. Absolutely, and I'm glad that those resources are there and someone such as yourself, too. Uh, the last question I like to ask is, what message would you like to share with our listeners based on the journey of Andrew as well as your involvement as a family with his journey or just life in general? I think the most important thing is for people to know that they're not alone. There's help out there. You just have to reach out for it. Um, and I think that, um, you know, a lot of the groups and different activities that you can do, I'm, I mean, it can save your sanity to know that somebody else um, is walking the same walk. I love that, and that's exactly why I do what I do, because I don't want anyone to feel alone, and I know that each person I speak to, I feel that they have that same same talk, as they don't want to feel like they're that someone's alone. So thank you again, Debbie. I really do appreciate you being vulnerable, opening up, and sharing Andrew's journey, as well as giving a little insight on stuff that I had no um, awareness to. Thank you. Yes. Thank you again, Debbie, for being my guest and sharing your story to help heal, inspire, and of course, you definitely educated us. And my one word is to give hope. To my listeners, I thank you for listening. Please subscribe so you are notified about the next great story. As I say in each episode, these truly keep getting better and better. And if you'd like to share your story or know someone who wants to share their story, you can also be anonymous because your story still matters even if your name not attached to it. You can send an email address to Christine, and that's with a C-H, at storiesofhope.com, stories with a Y. And if you'd like to be a sponsor, feel free to email me to Christine at storiesofhope.com. Until next time, everyone, I wish you well, and you take care. <laughs>